Transport for the North podcast. Hello and welcome to the Transport for the North podcast. I'm your host, Gemma, and as usual, I'm joined by my colleague, Stephen. Hi, Stephen. How are you? Hi, Gemma. I'm very well, thank you. Jolly good, jolly good. So today we're going to talk about our latest TFN Talks webinar. That was all about the business priorities for the north of England. We're going to hear from Henry Morrison. He's the director of the Northern Powerhouse Partnership. And we're going to take a look ahead to the next few months in government and what's going to be going on now that Parliament is uh, about to return all the business that we can expect through to the end of the year. So let's kick off then, Stephen, with the latest TFN talk series and uh, going from strength to strength with the uh, with the online webinars that we've been bringing everybody over the summer. Uh, really great way to keep people engaged and informed while we can't meet in person and do all the usual events and activities that we would do. So. Last week's webinar was all about business priorities for the north of England, an excellent panel once again. So we were chaired by our very own Tim Foster, who is head of policy, strategy, economics and research here at Transport for the North. We had Councillor Don McKenzie, he's the executive member for transport at North Yorkshire County Council. Peter Kennan, board member for transport at Sheffield City Region Local Enterprise Partnership. Emma Degg, who is the Chief Executive of the Northwest Business Leadership Team, and Miranda Barker, Chief Executive of East Lancashire Chamber of Commerce. Um, so a really excellent panel there, a lot of uh, big hitting names, Stephen. Um, give us your, we're going to hear some of the some of the clips and some of the, the comments and we'll, we'll talk about a few of the, the key points, but just just set up the the scene for us business priorities for the north of england why are we talking about this why now yeah so i mean i mean business priorities have always been fundamental to what transport for the north does i think way back in 2016 uh one of the first documents transport for the north commission was the northern paris independent economic review so that looked at all of the different capabilities of the north and essentially kind of demonstrating how you make transport a means to an end and that was where you've probably heard you know there's the 100 billion extra gba and 850,000 jobs and that's essentially where that figure came from was figuring out you know if you connected the region in the right way this is what you get and that was underpinned by the priorities for business and a lot of that came from our local enterprise partnership which you know peter's representing on our board now from the sheffield city region perspective so i think it's always been a fundamental part of what we're doing it's always been a common thread but i think what was what we're quite keen to understand was, uh, you know, obviously with COVID-19, does that really, has that really changed any of the priorities? Have things moved on since the Northern Paris Independent Economic Review? And, you know, what do they want to see going forward? What are the priorities for business, essentially? Um, and I think, you know, you'll hear some of the clips now, but I think one of the big things that they wanted to emphasise was they wanted some kind of like long-term stability. Um, you know, they wanted to understand what was coming up and when so that they can have the confidence to invest. And I think, it's understandable that that's difficult to predict. There's a recognition that you know a lot of the the short-term asks um, are very important, and they will you know potentially shape the long-term priorities in terms of how we're going to deliver them. But the actual ultimate long-term priorities remain essentially very, very much the same as they they always have been. Uh, it's about better connections from a transport perspective, but also looking at broadband from a digital connectivity perspective, um, etc. So so yeah, it was a really interesting discussion. I think one one of the better discussions that we've had. Fantastic. So we'll hear a few of those. 
those uh, comments now, including uh, Councillor Don McKenzie um, in particular. He was talking about the need to improve east-west connectivity. Um, of course, he is in uh, North Yorkshire, so quite uh, a rural area on the whole, and actually sometimes moving uh, moving across can be quite the challenge, and we know that's a challenge for the for the whole region as well. Um, in a, in a similar vein, uh, Peter Kennan talked about the need for an integrated transport network, again, looking at rural connectivity in particular. Uh, so let's hear some of those comments now. Good afternoon and uh, welcome to the latest edition of TFN Talks. Thanks to everybody for, for joining today. My name is Tim Foster. I'm Head of uh, Policy and Research at Transport for North. And this is the latest in a series of uh, online discussions that TFN has been holding over the over the summer. And today we're going to focus on business priorities for the North of England. And clearly that's a really live discussion at the moment in the context of the economic recovery and getting the economy moving again. So I'm, I'm really pleased to be joined by uh, a great panel today to talk about where transport fits in with their priorities, both in the short term and the long term, and what else is needed to support return to to economic growth. Don, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us today. And I think as the only uh, politician on our panel today, actually, we're really keen to hear from you about what you feel your priorities are for business at the moment. Yes, uh, thank you very much, Tim. Well, first of all, uh, uh, good afternoon, everyone. I'll give you a little thumbnail sketch on North Yorkshire, first of all. Uh, it's the country's largest county, as you may know, population 610,000 people spread over a wide area of more than 3,000 square miles. The County Council manages 6,000 miles of highways, 4,000 miles of footpaths, and nearly 2,000 bridges. Uh, we've got two medium-sized towns, Harrogate, from where I'm speaking from today, and Scarborough. But most of the population is scattered in small market towns, villages, and hamlets. And to give an indication to people uh, of the distances involved in my county, East to west, if you went from Scarborough on the coast across to Bentham or Settle in the west, that's a journey of more than 100 miles. Uh, and uh, as far as south to north is concerned, well, Richmond in the north down to Selby in the south is 65 miles. So the distances are large in my county and therefore travel within the county can be a challenge. Generally speaking, uh, north to south travel options are far better than those east to west, which we believe need more investment. Now, my, my county council, North Yorkshire County Council, shares transport for the North's belief that we need a pipeline of investment schemes for the North of England following decades of underinvestment in transport infrastructure. North Yorkshire County Council is playing our part in that. We're currently engaged in three significant transport upgrades to the A59, which is the main east-west corridor through our county between York, Harrogate and Skipton, and beyond into Lancashire. One is a rail scheme, the other two are highways projects. The rail scheme is a near £10 million investment which we're putting into track and signalling improvements on the single track section between Nailsborough and York to enable Northern Rail to run two trains per hour in each direction. At the moment it can only run one. This is funded by the York and North Yorkshire Local Enterprise Partnership and by North Yorkshire County Council, and we're using our on-street parking surpluses to pay for that. The two road schemes, one is an £8 million upgrade to Junction 47, that's between the A1M and the A59, that's to cater for increasing levels of traffic expected to be brought about by 
residential and commercial development in that area. Again, funded by the local LEP, uh, our parking surpluses, and in this case, by a, a developer contribution. And the third scheme, the biggest of them all, is a £40 million scheme to realign the A59 Transpennine route at Kexgill. This is between Highgate and Skipton. Uh, we've submitted a business case to the Department for Transport for 85% of the cost of that scheme, and we're fairly confident that our bid will be favourably received. For those of you who know the A59, Kexgill is a, an area of great instability. There are regular landslips there. We have to close the road regularly, and, uh, and these co this causes delays and diversions. In addition to that, we're also targeting, of course, and this is particularly important at the moment, uh, sustainable transport improvements, particularly cycling and walking. Now, transport links in my county are a, a major factor in the viability of our businesses. Uh, the North Yorkshire economy supports 265,000 jobs, generates £13 billion of GVA. The COVID-19 pandemic and lockdown have, of course, had a dramatic effect on those jobs. As of last month, 85,000 persons here in North Yorkshire had been furloughed. That's the second highest of any local authority after Leeds in the north of England. 40% of our manufacturing jobs are in the food industry. And of course, the downturn in tourism and hospitality activity have had a, a profound effect uh, on, on, uh, on that particular sector. Nevertheless, we're confident we will bounce back. Uh, we're a country rich in small to medium-sized enterprises. Many of our uh, residents run their own businesses and are self-employed. And North Yorkshire is historically a county of very low unemployment. Our residents enjoy a high quality of life, excellent education and good social care. And our agricultural sector is very strong. So, North York County Council is determined to help the local economy to overcome the effects of COVID as quickly as possible. And we intend to do that by continuing to invest in our infrastructure. And we believe that TFN can help us do just that. Part of my portfolio is the digital economy. And we do give a high priority to our digital infrastructure. Our broadband company, SFNY, has brought high quality broadband to 180,000 businesses and households in the county since 2012. And we continue to connect up thousands of additional properties every year. The latest phase of expansion, providing full fiber connections with up to 330 megabits per second download speed. Uh, we're also installing a full fiber network of 180 kilometers in 19 towns in the county. And we've just become a member of Mobile Access North Yorkshire, which is a partnership which is piloting the use of 5G networks in our most rural and remote areas. Thank you. That's an excellent, an excellent start to the discussion. Thank you. And I think we'll come back to, to lots of that in the discussion. Um, <coughs> thank you so much. So um, uh, the next uh, speaker is um, Peter Kennan, who is also a member of the Transport for the North uh, Board and represents the Sheffield City region. Uh, local enterprise partnership. Uh, alongside his role at the LEP, um, Peter is uh, chair of the uh, Sheffield Chamber Transport Forum, uh, a charity trustee, and a self, <laughs> it says here, a self-proclaimed railway enthusiast. Uh, Peter, I'm sure you're going to tell us why trains are so important, but I'm sure you also, uh, we'd all like to hear from you what else you think we ought to be focusing on. Um, thank you, 
Thank you, Tim. Uh, good afternoon, everybody that's uh, attending the webinar. Um, I'm making my comments uh, from a background as a chartered accountant uh, where I've dealt with uh, small and medium-sized enterprises and owner-managed businesses in South Yorkshire for over 30 years now. I think one of the key things on challenges to the north in unleashing the potential for economic growth, it's finding a way to work with central government uh, to get more devolution and the key issue of a northern budget. Um, Transport for the North make great efforts to uh, try and advance that. So just getting central government to understand and trust the judgment of those in the north uh, is so important and that is why Transport for the North carries such a key role. And it's also getting central government to remember that there isn't one size fits all for the UK. Solutions for London and the big cities will not necessarily work in many parts of the north. Um, we've heard from Don already in the rural communities in North Yorkshire. South Yorkshire is very polycentric. We've got a number of urban centres and an awful lot of rural areas in between. But having said that um, and pointed the finger at central government, I also want to say um, that that isn't the only uh, consideration. We've got to look at ourselves as well. Uh, we have to ensure that we represent all sections of society in what we're doing. So here I am, a 60-year-old white male. Um, well, I need to make sure that what we do is fair, fair and represents and gives a contribution from all sections of society in the North. And, and uh, whilst not diluting the obvious skill and experience which many people bring to this. Um, on uh, levelling up and the priorities for business, uh, we have to say that there is probably 20 to 25 percent of businesses that are fighting for survival. Um, we mustn't lose sight of that. But there are a large number of businesses um, who are still looking to the medium to long term and want stability, clarity, consistency so they can make informed investment decisions. There are too many um, apparently knee-jerk isolated interventions by central government um, there's a lack of clarity sometimes of policy that everybody knows and understands isn't always there. And consistency, this idea of bidding for funding uh, so that you get patchy, almost a patchwork of investment across the north because somebody's been successful and somewhere else hasn't. If you took EV charging as an example of that. Um, priorities for rural areas um, in South Yorkshire, as in North Yorkshire, very, very important. Um, I've attended a lot of DFT sessions where uh, cycling has dominated the agenda. Uh, E-cargo bikes have been a key consideration. And we have to say, well, it's not, one, it's not the last mile delivery we're interested in. It's the last five miles. It's the last 10 miles. It can be 20 miles in some rural communities. Um, bus services are absolutely key um, in, in rural areas. And delivery vans, uh, which at the moment means generally diesel, are critical too, as is better IT connectivity. And I think the integrated rail plan for the North and Midlands, which we're all working on uh, so hard at TFN and elsewhere, um, being put together by a National Infrastructure Commission, uh, must recognise that there is one network. Uh, we've got to have an integrated network, and in rural areas that means uh, a bus connection from another transport hub or node. And just finally, um, in the time available, just a word about business priorities. I think short term, undoubtedly, there's been a shift away from emphasis on transport to digital infrastructure. Uh, better, better IT, better broadband. We're all here on a Zoom call. Uh, better 4G, better 5G. Will that persist? 
Um, it's hard to say at the moment. We, we've seen today Carolyn Fairburn of the CBI making point of, which really emphasises the fact that we should get back to office because there are tens of thousands of jobs like coffee shops and so on that absolutely dependent upon office workers. Um, and 98% of the businesses in our city region are SMEs. Uh, a lot of those, the staff cannot work from home, whether they're because of manufacturing, logistics, transport workers. Um, and we all know that working from home can be good. It can help work-life balance, but for many, it can affect their mental health and well-being, with feeling of isolation, that loss of camaraderie. Uh, and we must actually strike a balance here. So I hope that's useful by way of an introduction. Emma, um, thank you ever so much for joining us today. Emma Dagg is the Chief Exec of the Northwest Business Leadership Team, um, uh, uh, but is also a member of the uh, 2070 Commission, um, uh, which is, um, I know from our perspective, has, has played a really big role in articulating uh, 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 and defining what's needed in terms of rebalancing the UK economy in, uh, in recent months. Uh, I think it's also uh, a board member of Northwest Mates Master and a trustee of Mind the Gap. Um, Emma, over to you for your thoughts. Thank you very much. So uh, I'd welcome a conversation about return to work because I think it's a complex issue that we need to be really clear-eyed about and um, for no sector does it have more of an implication I'd suggest than public transport really. So, so it'd be good to talk about that. Um, so I'll keep my observations uh, short, if I may. So for those who don't know, the Northwest Business Leadership Team was established uh, 30 years ago um, to bring together uh, a small group of business leaders uh, and university vice chancellors to work together to support the development of sensible policy uh, for the economy and communities of the region. So we're cross-sectoral and across the five parts um, of the Northwest region. Um, I was appointed as Chief Executive uh, three years ago and I did what everybody does starting a new job. I decided to go back and read all of the old board reports and policy statements which went back to the early 1990s. What was striking about that was how little had changed actually. <laughs> yes, some things had, you know, uh, the impact of digital and so on, but actually skills, east-west links in terms of transport, uh, the importance of, of agglomeration and connecting communities was there as well and we're 30 years on. Uh, progress has been made but surely the lesson from that is how we balance at the moment reacting to the short-term impacts we've got with keeping um, that long-term view really about really shifting the dial on those things. Um, it is I think um, easily forgotten how impressive um, a document the Northern um, Independent Economic Review was and how groundbreaking really to prioritise uh, that area of policy before moving on to, to, to the strategies that it then underpinned and all of that still stands where the opportunities are, where the areas of potential economic growth particularly uh, in the context, for example, of decarbonisation um, and net zero. So we do need to make sure that in all of the turmoil at the moment that we keep focusing on those things and make sure that some of the short-term decisions that need to be taken now don't end up having a long-term impact. And I guess return to work and return to offices is pretty key as part of that. 
at the beginning of um, this process, we uh, I drew up a plan which had dealing with the short-term impact of COVID and then recovery, uh, which of course was completely wrong <laughs> because the truth is we've got to be doing both of those things at the same time. And for business, uh, large or small, that continues um, to, to be the complexity and the challenge. One positive reinforcement, I think, from COVID is how important devolution is, not just in terms of policy and, policy and resources, but in terms of making sure um, that when uh, we implement, that is done um, with local government at the heart of it, actually, <laughs> with those who know their local labour markets, know their local communities well, and can actually uh, move much faster and more effectively. And if you look at the procurement of PPE, or track and trace or any of those issues, that's a really important lesson. Um, so to come back to, to Peter's point, uh, I think, yes, a focus on the long term. Yes, the UK 2070 Commission and we would welcome a renaissance of local government, but that's got to be properly resourced and properly planned for. And that's not just about um, capital investment, that's actually about making sure that we have the right planners and strategists and, and people who can work with our communities, um, but also uh, across the North, remembering that that independent economic review, all of the fantastic progress that has been made, was because we were working together. And if we fall into the trap of bidding against each other and actually allowing that really important partnership to fragment, then we're going to be very poorly served. And finally, um, uh, Miranda Barker, again, thank you ever so much for joining us today. Uh, Miranda, as people may know, is Chief Exec of uh, the East Lancashire Chamber of Commerce, um, uh, which uh, represents the, its members in the wider East Lancashire business community. Um, uh, Miranda, I, I guess as, as, as much of North Lancashire is, um, uh, it's one of those areas with lots of untapped potential, but also with uh, a, a number of world-leading businesses that that clearly are are face it, are right at the forefront of challenges um, uh, in terms of um, kind of getting getting back to normal, getting back to normal. Um, uh, what impact do you think that COVID has had on on priorities for your area? Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Thank you for for having me. It's nice to see you all. Um, and you're absolutely right. When I when I summarise East Lancashire, and I have to describe where it is when I talk to people, I say it stretches from British aerospace just to the east of Preston, across to Rolls-Royce, just to the west of Yorkshire. And that outlines perfectly the issues I've been facing today and this week and all through COVID. And that is the impact not only on our hospitality, tourism and leisure firms, but especially locally on the, the civilian aerospace sector. It's, it's that impact that we worry about having a really long term detrimental effect on the economy. Um, to give you a little idea, first of all, about, about East Lancs beyond that, it, it is a, a really heavily manufacturing orientated sector uh, area. So you're, you're looking at automotive, aerospace, low carbon and energy, health manufacturing, food manufacturing, um, and therefore, consequently, a huge amount of importing and exporting going along, all of which relies on us being able to move goods so we have a huge problem with being able to move our goods. We've got a, an issue with the disparity in the, between the, the investment in transport between the north and the south. We've got a, a problem if you talk to 
those in, in Europe and the rest of the world about our aerospace sector from the UK. They say we're too expensive and we're too slow. A large amount of that is the fact that we don't have the internal UK ability to move freight the way that they do in, in, in Europe. It's actually damaging our competitiveness internationally. We're not just moving people, we're trying to move freight. Um, in terms of, of how are we being affected by COVID, you've not only got the aerospace impact, you've got, you've got quite a mixed picture going on. You, you've got us seeing the fastest recovered towns in the UK in terms of Blackburn and Burnley being right at the top of the fastest recovered towns, but equally we've got local lockdowns coming on, off, on and off and with a, a dizzying frequency. But we are seeing a recovery. If you look at our businesses and we're hearing from them um, daily, excluding that civilian aerospace sector and the areas of tourism and leisure which haven't been able to open properly, the other manufacturers, household goods uh, relating to construction, relating to automotive, are actually seeing the best month that they've seen in a couple of years. And they're back on three shifts. And it's not due to social distancing. They're back on three shifts due to demand that's filling the order books through past till past Christmas. So it is a very mixed picture and there are some sectors that are doing very well, but we need that, that manufacturing goods moving ability to facilitate the import and export that drives all of that. Um, in Lancashire, the importing and exporting figures have held practically steady all the way through um, the COVID crisis. They dipped by about 10% in sort of April, May, but that's stark difference to a lot of other areas in the UK where they were down over 50%. So that's really important to the North's economy, but also the UK economy. So before we got to the COVID crisis, what was I happy about in terms of transport investment coming? Really pleased to see transport for the North being set up and the fact that we can actually have um, economically led appeals for new transport investment, because at least it made sense. We know how to fashion that argument. We can give you a basis for it. We can drive investment using that. That was really helpful. Um, it was really good to see finally an understanding of the importance of connecting HS2 with the East-West Northern Powerhouse Rail connectivity. That whole HS North and the, the need to have both those, it wasn't an either or. That was great to see that recognised. And the, the drive for a bit of de-beaching going on was really positive. So they're all, all really useful. So what do we need now to help us with the post-COVID recovery from all of that? We need that investment to come soon. We don't need it in a year. We don't need it in two years. We need it now. We need that money on the ground. That was money that was already going to be spent. Let's not see it stepped back. Let's see that, that investment happen now. Let's see definite uh, drive from government to ensure we have local supply chains involved wherever they are in the country in terms of building those rail uh, corridors and uh, facilities around them. Let's make sure our local suppliers are linked in. Now we've got really good support on calling from this, from the chamber. We're working really positive with TFN, um, with HS2, uh, with Network Rail, but if we can get a bit of government support and drive and facilitation behind that, that would really, really help uh, in terms of the, the COVID recovery, but also the whole regeneration of the North the freight movement, the strength of our international trade. And lastly, just to say, we need to keep that message going out for this kind of investment, that it isn't just for the North holding out a begging bowl, this is for the good of the UK economy. So let's have it happening now. Thank you.
Great to hear a couple of those uh, points there from Peter and Don. Uh, also in that discussion, Stephen, you touched on it in uh, in your introduction, was the need to balance short-term needs with um, long-term goals. And we can't let the sort of immediate reaction to the COVID-19 pandemic uh, make us lose sight of what we need for, for generations to come. And actually, um, our economic recovery plan uh, sort of balances that, that short, medium and, and longer-term pipeline, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I think it, what came through quite strongly from the discussion was, yeah, ultimately that, that now is, it's a different situation, but essentially it's kind of changed the narrative about how we're, how we're pitching and how we understand what we need. Uh, you know, it's it's brought forward the urgency. I think we've discussed it on previous podcasts. You know, it's, it's brought forward the urgency with which we need to implement some of the schemes. But because we were thinking more in the long term anyway, you could argue that, you know, it's brought forward the ways of working, the different ways of working. But it was something that we were already considering anyway, but maybe, you know, moving on to five, ten years further down the line but with where we are in the north of England it we're still going to need that investment anyway so it's so it's brought forward what we need but it's not actually changed what we need I think it's probably the best way to explain it I think that's a really good way of putting it and uh, Emma Degg had some really great comments on uh, on the sort of balancing that short term and longer term as well and a final point of interest from the discussion Stephen and something that I know Miranda Barker picked up on in particular uh, was freight movements uh, it's not just about moving people but also the importance of moving goods around as well um, and if we are to build back better and create a long term recovery and into a period of growth we really need to be supporting our our businesses and and our sectors particularly areas like uh manufacturing don't we yeah exactly yeah i mean i think lancashire you know as miranda will will know more better than anybody you know that lancashire has a, has a huge manufacturing center uh you know they've got uh, bae systems and rolls royce uh which is you know two massive employers that they're going to be struggling to get through the next next few months um but yeah the east west connections and freight in particular was something that was really highlighted i mean it was it was kind of useful to have you had Don, coach Don McKenzie from North Yorkshire and Miranda Barker from East Lancashire, you know, two that are actually very, very close, but, you know, mentally they're, they're much further away than they actually are. And that is, that fits back into that, those East-West connections and perhaps more so than for anybody else, they're important for freight. Uh, so in terms of getting goods from one side of the country to the other, the ports in Liverpool and Hull, uh, and obviously much, much further up north as well. Uh, so it's about improving those connections that are, that are vitally important. Well, that's it for our roundup of TFN Talks. If you do want to go back and watch the whole webinar, you can do that. It's on our website, transportforthenorth.com. Uh, there's a page dedicated to TFN Talks, so you'll be able to watch back the Business Priorities episode as well as all the previous ones as well. So do go and have a, a watch. Uh, and don't forget to keep an eye out on that page as well and sign up to um, All Points North and we'll let you know uh, about the next TFN Talk sessions. They are uh, continuing it's been a great way to to get people together and to host these discussions while we can't do them in person so we'll bring you uh, more of those so stay tuned for them uh, next up we're going to hear from Henry Murison he is director of Northern Powerhouse Partnership 
Uh, I sat down with Henry a few days ago and had uh, a really great chat with him about all sorts of things, uh, business, transport, education, devolution, agglomeration, uh, COVID, of course, C words always got to be in there, uh, and absolutely how we turn levelling up into action. He also gave us an insight into his predictions for what the North would look like um, in the decades to come. Some great discussions with uh, with Henry, really interesting to get his his take on these issues. So ha have a listen. Uh, my name's Henry Murison and I'm director of the Northern Powerhouse Partnership. Tell us a bit about how you ended up with your job at Northern Powerhouse Partnership. And is this the type of role that you uh, you ever really saw yourself in? No, I was, I was really lucky. So I um, had spent a number of years working in local government uh, up in the northeast of England and in the private sector in financial services and, and before that in the public sector in, in Yorkshire. Um, and so I, I suppose I've worked across the north, but have worked across public and private sectors. And the partnership, when it was set up and, and now, still remains very much a, a collaboration between uh, those uh, like our leading northern business leaders, but also a number of our civic leaders like uh, Sir Richard Lees, for instance, who who first helped set up TFN in its early days uh, and helped uh, to to shepherd the independent economic review through its its early stages. So that kind of spirit of working in partnership across those two sectors uh, and those different ways of working has very much been in my background, and it, it's probably why I think I was appointed and uh, and working in a having worked in politics but also in, in business. I suppose I understand that the need to really work collaboratively across those different different ways and approaches but obviously the power of doing that um, and, and the impact that can have in significantly moving government opinion I think is really critical. And so Northern Powerhouse Partnership has been around for some time now. Tell us a bit about why it was created, what it was set up to achieve. So we were set up the Northern Powerhouse Partnership by George Osborne, our, our founding and, and remaining chair to this day and by our board to to drive the north's ambitions so to to kind of really challenge the north of england itself to be focused on the things that really matter and also to make sure that government didn't forget about and ignore the northern powerhouse and there were times under the previous theresa may government where definitely we lost momentum and with the project but what was really i think interesting to me was that the north of england didn't didn't give up on it and actually the strength and the commitment of those in the north to the project has been has been really steadfast, even when at times, perhaps in Whitehall, there's been a, a kind of a rearguard action against particularly the, the movement, not just of more funding, but more power to northern institutions. Uh, let's move on then and have a think about some of the current challenges that the North and indeed uh, the wider UK are facing. Um, so many of the reports out of the Northern Powerhouse Partnership have focused on uh, things like rail improvements, let's say, so uh, and the big projects, the big meaty infrastructure projects such as HS2 and Northern Powerhouse Rail. Um, in the current climate, um, are these still long-term priorities for the North and, and, and why? So I think what's really important, isn't it, is that clearly we're in the middle of a pandemic. And so travel patterns have changed somewhat. Um, I think what um, you can't do is base your economic and infrastructure policy on an event which is time-sensitive. So we're going to get past COVID-19 and then we're going to want to... Uh, be able to move on as a society. I think what's really interesting is how much people have missed 
co-presence. I don't think people miss traditional commuting, if I'm honest. And I don't think that's something we need to be particularly worried about losing. I think a more flexible approach to when people need to be in certain places, I think is very valuable. Um, I think that the reality though is that do people from Leeds or people from Newcastle think that they're never going to want to go to Liverpool? Ever. Do you mean? They might not have to go there every day, but they might sometimes want to go there. And actually, if you if you study your network economy thesis, we want to really bore, bore, bore viewers and listeners, then it's not necessarily about people churning in and out of city centres, which does generate economic benefits because being close to other people, that proximity, being able to work in clusters where people can collaborate and have ideas. For many people who work remotely it's not particularly appealing to them as a permanent state of mind or, or or way of working so of course we will return to some form of traditional commuting behavior but more interestingly the northern hypothesis was always built on the idea not that we would force people from newcastle to commute to liverpool every day in some sort of maca kind of for, for no reason but that when they needed to be able to go to liverpool that their businesses would be able to rationally expect them to do that journey in a day in comfort and, and a relatively sensible frequency and reliability, which they cannot currently do. And I think that the the point I would make to the kind of naysayers about transport is that if there are people in number 10 and others who think that they can start carving bits off HS2 because we've, uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic, then they misjudge the mood of the northern economic uh, kind of leaders and the people who work in those businesses because... I don't think people are going to take very kindly to the pandemic being used as a prerequisite and a kind of excuse to cancel big infrastructure projects. Because, yes, we have needed to borrow money in this crisis, but we're talking about borrowing money for projects over the next 30 years. We'll have paid back the cost of the current job retention scheme long before we even spend most of the money on some of these projects in the north of England. And so to draw a direct equivalence between current day-to-day spending and changes in travel patterns and the need to potentially cancel elements, say, of HS2 is possibly the most spurious political argument I've ever come across. And I think if it's ever deployed, I think it'll backfire massively. And I think the government's had enough uh, political disasters in the last few weeks to last it at least till the end of this parliament. You touched on there the impact of COVID on commuting patterns. Um, Another impact of COVID-19 has obviously been on businesses, whether they're able to even operate at all, depending on which sector they're in, but how they can actually operate differently um, and in some ways maybe even take advantage of of opportunities, of new areas of business, new ways of working because of this pandemic – What's your feel for some of those immediate learnings of COVID-19 and how businesses have uh, have responded? So I think think what's really interesting, isn't it, is that we've always wanted to have a really mobile workforce in the north of England who are willing to go anywhere and do anything. And actually, I think that if you look at the digital sector, I'm always struck by how much those people tended not to be fixed in their particular patterns of work and were much more flexible about where they'd work from and how they'd work. I think that if people have got used to these collaboration tools, then that's a prerequisite, I think, for some of the changes in the way our economy works in the North, where we're not disadvantaged by being anonymized from each other. But that's not a shortcut to the virtual city that we want to create, because you still can't then act on that and, and really build those proper dynamic relationships between places that we know will bring economic activity 
uh, growing in these cities and in our wider city regions. So my kind of hope would be that businesses have rightly learned that they can do things in new ways. They won't be so constrained by the fact that we're in a part of the country that's pretty disconnected from itself, never mind the rest of the world some of the time. Um, and the reality of being able to work in those more dynamic ways will supercharge the, the growth of, of, a, of, a, of an economy that's more dynamic. Uh, but it will probably shorten the time horizon for when we need some of these interventions to start bringing benefits. So the, all the government's rightful focus on accelerating delivery projects, I think, needs to not just be applied to what we might call some of the easy wins, but also to building new significant pieces of infrastructure and also seeing that as part of a phased approach. This is why I think the work that TFN Strategy Director has done developing and, and shepherding through your response to the integrated rail plan is so key because the reality is you, it is not a choice between incremental improvement and big ticket items because every big ticket goal has a series of small steps to achieve it and again this dichotomy between bringing benefits of schemes like hs2 and northern powers rail more quickly and doing them at all is spurious because actually there are significant elements of npr for instance that can be built about by upgrading the existing network and those upgrades are as important as the new lines so the fact we're waiting so long, for instance, to get Hope Valley, even at its first iteration of basic improvements to get through and be built and, and delivered is a, is a weakness because what we need to see is that is a key corridor for NPR. Every improvement and penny you spend on the existing line, whether or not it is uh, the, the, the sum total of that project is going to bring real benefits. Let's talk a little bit about education, um, something that's obviously um, high up on the Northern Powerhouse Partnership agenda, uh, been a hot topic in recent days and weeks with the A-level GCSE and BTEC results um, sagas, let's say. Um, you've given a, a evidence to the Education Select Committee based on some of the reports of Northern Powerhouse Partnership why is education so important and, and tell us a little bit about your work in that area so i think the the key point is that education and skills together are probably even more important than transport and that is in no way to denigrate transport and its importance to the northern economy but if all you do is improve the transport connections and, and we have big gaps in our skill levels even in the prime capabilities against the average nationally all you're doing is helping people to leave places that are less economically successful and go to places that are more successful and then leave greater skills deficits behind them for those businesses that, that remain in those places. So it's not a sustainable strategy. And so I think our, our particular focus and why we are so keen to talk about it in such depth is that it, it does really matter if you're going to drive up productivity. And I think that um, particularly in, in education, we, we've done significant work in this week on Wednesday, there was new work uh, published by the Education Policy Institute, which very much backs up what we've been saying about, about education in the North and makes the recognises the particular concentration of schools that teach the most disadvantaged kids. Because it's not that, that somehow there's something wrong, particularly with Northern schools. In fact, many Northern schools, based on the intakes they get from our Fairer Schools Index, which we published with uh, colleagues like George Leckie, Dr George Leckie from Bristol University, demonstrate that actually schools, if you compare them based on uh, accounting for their intake, a lot of schools in the north get much better results than many down south, um, and particularly in progress made from 11 to, to 16, because there are various ethnic and social groups, including white working class girls and boys from the most disadvantaged backgrounds who do worse 
on average, significantly worse across England, wherever they live. So what we need to do is close the disadvantage gap in education across the country. But the way you do that is by closing the gap in the north, because that's where most of it numerically exists. The schools with the highest number of long-term disadvantaged kids, two-thirds of them are in the north. The rest of them are basically in the West Midlands. So you need to take a place-based approach. And that's why it's so important that we develop and support our opportunity areas, develop them further. Um, and I think that those are the the key opportunities that we need to, to really focus on. We have been in this pandemic now for uh, coming up on six months or so, certainly in, in sort of lockdown and those restrictions that have been placed on, on the economy, on the businesses, on, on our way of life. Um, get a sense now that we're looking more towards immediate recovery at the moment transport for the north uh, are looking at the economic recovery plan there's much more talk now about leveling up about building back better and um, what would you say are the the priorities over the next 12 months um to to ensure that we can get back to that uh, period of of growth again in the future and, and exactly as you've outlined, uh, we need to take a really considered approach to the recovery because we're not going to have two loads of money. We're not going to have the chance to, to, to deal with COVID-19's economic hangover and then also then start levelling up afterwards. And, and the Chancellor, from the very beginning of the, his kind of reflections on this crisis has been really clear that he sees levelling up as being integral to the government's recovery strategy. And I think that's exactly, exactly right. So we've published sort of some very clear kind of proposals uh, as the partnership making very clear what a kind of leveling up plan for the north would, would look like i think as we approach the comprehensive spending review we'll be making sure that those things are are turned into action because i think that it's it's not enough for the government to talk about leveling up it actually has to do the things that are going to have a credible economic impact we've also looked i think at how more powers and funding through devolution so particularly using gain share which is the kind of really increasing local investment potential to mirror uh, the ability of government to invest alongside key revenue streams and income streams such as uh, really the the way that the national infrastructure commission has suggested that local transport funding should be dealt with so rather than places having to bid actually having a proper budget not just for transport but for housing and wider infrastructure that is really on a long-term basis held outside of Whitehall because it makes no sense for those policy levers to sit in Whitehall. So those are all things that create jobs now. So it isn't about uh, doing things all from the centre because that is going to take too long. And I think if anyone thought that you could do a recovery from the centre, we need to look at, at the, 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 the lack of ambition and scale in the, uh, in the initial fund for shovel-ready projects, which, to be honest, was not the most uh, ambitious <laughs> aspiration set of set of projects, and and they reflected simply a distribution of taking some money and spreading it evenly like jam across the country. And the, the problem with jam spreading is it doesn't yield significant results. You have to really focus investment, and the way to focus investment is to empower those who know their places best. Uh, and that really is our metro mayors and the new mayors that we're electing and and creating through new deals, and our subnational transport bodies including transport for the north because in areas for instance like highways england investment i really question why 
the the oversight and policy for that is done from Whitehall when in reality these are roads built between places in the north of England improved between places in the north of England why shouldn't transport for the north have the capability and the function for making sure that investment achieves value for money because what we want to see is a a multimodal transport system that can meet our economic aspirations at the moment we don't have the levers to pull we have the plan but we don't yet have the levers to pull to actually be able to build those interventions that we need let's uh look a little bit further ahead then and a little bit more general if i may to um the longer term aspirations and opportunities um, and i want to come back a little bit to um our earlier point about education and young people and um, you made a really interesting point that you know too often they just filter out of the north because the opportunities aren't here and then they'll they'll never come back and they'll go off and do amazing things elsewhere and that's a real loss to our region you've put a lot of effort into working with young people and um, even doing conferences specifically focused around future generations how important is it that we and um, engage with, empower, educate uh, young people today? So I think uh, we, we focus on those areas we think where we're going to get the biggest impact in the north and that's why we're particularly interested in those that are looking to retrain and those that are wanting uh, to enter jobs for the first time and so I think that our focus on particularly apprenticeships but also other vocational educational routes is based on the fact that we know that work-based learning will be critical to us achieving our, our skills aspirations and achieving the type of skill system that we need. And I think I would really focus that, that the opportunities that are currently available today to young people here in the North are significant, but we could do a lot more. And uh, for those that are already in work, we need to be able to help them retrain to be prepared for the next industrial revolution and to, to be ready in terms of being able to contribute. Another really important area for people and businesses um, right across the North and, and the UK as, as a whole um, is around um, foreign investment, trade routes, goods coming in and out, uh, massively important. Um, the B word, which we've actually gone very quiet about in recent times because the C word's taken over. Um, the impact of, of Brexit on those trade routes and of course uh, transport connectivity is, is, is massive if you know we can't get goods from Port of Liverpool over to, to Teesport effectively then you know the whole thing starts to unravel and um, Northern Powerhouse has been very much looking at foreign investment and um, so how do we how do we generate that what's the impact and the opportunities for that around getting that um, that, that um, international money interest trade into the north i think that the role that manchester airport plays as an international gateway has been critical and i know that in the uh in the north's first ever strategic transport plan the importance of of that airport asset but also our other regional airports was really emphasized because clearly um ensuring we do for instance have that direct flight to china that we need uh, up and running again is absolutely important for being able to bring in the type of investment that we need and to maintain our economic and social relationships, for instance, with parts of the world where we have strong, strong ties, like in, in the Far East. So I, I believe very passionately that um, transport connectivity is critical and that the kind of old model of saying that, oh, it's okay, we can just get people up from London through Heathrow. Well, 
if you're not within a two-hour flight to China, people won't invest. And there are many parts of the north of England that are only just two hours away from Manchester Airport, and sadly, some of them that are more than two hours away. And we need to make sure that we're getting that international connectivity to where we need it. And that's why the work that John Cridland did actually as part of the aviation review he did uh, outside of his role uh, being chair of TFN, I think is so critical because that work sets a really clear agenda for the importance of international connectivity to the north of England. And I think in transport terms, how we sustainably uh, make sure that aviation is available where we need it to achieve economic growth is really important. I also think our our port links are critical and our, our port assets like like Immingham and the Humber ports more widely, which are absolutely vital gateway and up the coast, for instance, to, to Teesport. These are critical national assets, but they're also vital for the north of England if we're going to become a, a more successful exporting nation. Uh, I'm going to wrap up, Henry, by asking you to get out your crystal ball, uh, take a deep look into it and tell me where do you think or hope the North will be in 30 years time. So we're looking quite far ahead. You know, we've dealt with COVID, we're on recovery. What's the, what's the big picture for, for three decades from now? So in, in 2050, what we will have done, I think, is we will have achieved the ambition of making the North as prosperous as London, the South East, as successful uh, globally, uh, leading the way in the capabilities we've, we've established as being world leading in. I think most importantly, the experience of living here will be a very different one. And I think that the, the key point is that you can measure economic outcomes as much as you want. But the reality is that the north of England's prosperity and the lives of the people that live here are a relationship with its economic place in the world. And if we're going to uh, recover and surpass our global preeminence that we achieved in the first industrial revolution in the fourth one, then that will bring real benefits to the people who live here. And that certainly motivates me. And I think it should motivate all of us. Some great insights there from Henry Murison of Northern Powerhouse Partnership. Um, Stephen, what do you, what do you, do you make of, uh, of his thoughts? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's always useful because we, we, we like to try and understand what's going on much broader outside of transport. But I think naturally, given our name, that's where we end up coming back to. So it's, it's really helpful to have people like Henry and the Northern Paris Partnership, you know, trumping a lot of those other issues that are just as important. Like I say, education is, is vastly important. I know our chair, John Quidland, likes to talk about that as well. In fact, he's on, he's on the board for Northern Paris Partnership. So, so there are many, many other issues, um, you know, as transport moves at the political agenda, but it's moving up there with the rest of the north of England and there are much more other areas that we need to concentrate on as well. Absolutely yeah it all uh, it all links together and of course transport is is that enabler isn't it you know and it can make a massive difference in encouraging and helping people to make the most of those educational opportunities business opportunities and, and leisure opportunities as well so it absolutely all all fits into into one and it's all about wider connectivity and opportunities and growth. Um, okay, we're going to finish up our episode today then, Stephen, by looking ahead to the return of Parliament. It's back to school term time. Again, ministers are going to be heading back down to, to London and sitting in the House again. Uh, what are we expecting over the next two or three months, do you think? Uh, well, I think we're, we're, we're here to bring it up, but I think I think also the next two or three months are going to be determined by COVID-19. I think I think 
there's there's obviously there's the comprehensive spending review and budget that we're expecting. Uh, there's the integrated rail plan, which should hopefully come out. Uh, you know, we're looking towards a devolution white paper. So there's a lot of interest in there. But I think in terms of what's going to dominate it will be COVID-19 and whether there is this second wave that people are talking about, uh, whether that comes to fruition or, or not, I think will probably det- determine, you know, how much emphasis each of those areas get. But I think for, for, for our perspective, you know, from a transport from the North perspective, we're still going to keep pushing um, our asks. You know, we've, we've done our submission to the Comprehensive Spending Review, which can be found on the website. So, you know, we, we've, we've fed into the integrated rail plan, so we're waiting for a decision on that, particularly, you know, how the, the integration between HS2 and NPR will work. So, so yes, it's a very interesting time, um, and, and but we'll, we'll see what happens. A potential to be um, quite busy again. It seems like, you know, we're always searching for a quiet time. We've not, uh, we've not really had it. I feel like there'll be back in the next um, week or so, I guess, and hit the ground running. And you've mentioned um, comprehensive spending review, the devolution white paper, the integrated rail plan. We're still waiting for the Williams review. There's surely going to be discussions around rail franchising and support that's been given to to keep them going through COVID. So some really meaty issues here. It's not going to be quiet, is it? No, absolutely not. And I think I think that's what we want. I think there's the, the the more meaty issues that are coming up shows how high uh, the north of England and, and 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 transport are on the agenda. So that's that's always a good thing. Uh, we'd like to be busy, um, and you know the, the busier we are tends to imply that you know things are happening or getting the process of it happening. So so the faster the better. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Time to uh, to to level up and and build back better and let's let's get these things in uh, in motion we're of course also uh, looking towards the first meeting of the northern transport acceleration council which is to take place this month um, and also the acceleration unit that's been set up is going to be in place this month as well and both of those things aimed at really speeding up the delivery of of transport projects which is only going to be um only going to get the thumbs up from transport for the north isn't it we've been talking about projects like uh, Castlefield, like Transpennine route upgrade for uh, many, many years now. So uh, we're all for getting spades in the ground and, and getting things done, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's embodied by uh, by the economic recovery plan that, we, that we've submitted as well. I think, you know, there, like I said, there, there are schemes now that are on the agenda that we've been pushing for, for a long time. Um, and you know, and they're up there, and we we've submitted our plan on that's that's not just for most transport for the north. You know, that was developed with all of our partners. So, so we as the north of England have set forward what our priorities are, what we think can be done in the short term to get things moving. Um, so we look forward to seeing what what we've got to say about those. Absolutely. Well, we'll be keeping a close eye on everything that's going on, uh, and we will bring you the updates every week in this podcast. Uh, thanks ever so much, Stephen, for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have your company and your insights as always. Um, don't forget, you can stay up to date with all things Transport for the North by subscribing to All Points North, our weekly newsletter. There's a box where you put your email address on at the bottom of our uh, webpage. You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, and on LinkedIn. You'll find the podcasts on Spotify and SoundCloud if you want to go back and listen to any previous episodes. Um, And you will also find details of our TFN talk sessions and our upcoming 
board meetings as well on the calendar section of our website. Next board meeting, by the way, takes place on Thursday, the 17th of September. So do tune in for that. Uh, that's everything for today. Another great episode. Thanks again to Stephen for joining me. Thanks again to um, our panel for TFN Talks. Thanks to Henry Murison. And we will see you next time. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the Transport for the North podcast. Don't forget you can subscribe on Spotify and SoundCloud so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook for all our latest updates. And join us on our website where you can find all the latest news and sign up to our All Points North newsletter.